Would you bow in prayer with me? Father, I ask for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, that the words that flow from a wicked mouth and yet from the pages of inerrant scripture would be endued with power through their inerrancy, but through the power of the Holy Spirit to fall upon our hearts in such a way that you would cause us to walk before you in righteousness. And in that righteousness to be obedient and in that obedience to find great joy. And grant us your grace this, uh, during this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Whoa. The voice of God. No, I'm just... I was already late getting home, and it was raining, and I was a little worried about what my wife was going to think. These were before the days of cell phones. Earlier that evening, I had been preaching at Millican University to the InterVarsity group there, and uh, I had been preaching on the authenticity of the Christian life and how we often hide and have a two-faced relationship with God. I had finished my talk, and I sat down, and as I sat down, the young lady who was in charge of the meeting got up, I suppose, to close the meeting. And she stood and she began to testify sin, to confess sin and repentance. How she herself had been two-faced, how she herself was hiding behind a veil of uh, Christianity that was not really authentic. No sooner had she stopped than somebody else stood up and began to confess sin. And this went on for the next hour after the meeting was supposed to have ended. The staff worker looked at me and I just shrugged my shoulders. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. It never happened like that before. And I was elated as I began to leave Decatur, Illinois and head up Highway 51 to Bloomington, Illinois. I was excited. This was a glorious experience. It had nothing to do with me. It was all to do with God. And yet I realized how hungry and per- uh, parched I was. And just as Highway 51 hit Highway 64, uh, I, I uh, <coughs> uh, noticed that there was a McDonald's on the side of the road and a Shell gas station. As I got off the exit, and I cannot explain this, I knew that I knew that I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was to go to the Shell gas station. Why? I did not know. But I knew that I was to go to the Shell gas station. No audible voice, no nothing like that. I went in, I grabbed my drink, I looked for my snack, I couldn't find my snack. There was a lady uh, sweeping up, closing her shift, uh, getting ready to leave. And it was just the two of us in there. I asked her where my snack was. She pointed me to the snack. Her head was always down and her shoulders were just heavy. You could see the weight of the world on her. I said, are you okay? And she opened her mouth and she said, actually not. She said, I, uh, got mar- I got pregnant in high school. My f- uh, family kicked me out. I decided to keep the child. Me and my deadbeat boyfriend live together now. He's into video games, weed, and sleeping in. I have to take this job. I have to support us. 
I said, are you happy? And she said, no, I'm not happy at all. And from that point on, for the next 45 minutes, between customers was a gospel conversation that just kept continuing. I thought, is she really that interested? Towards the end of her shift, her friends came in and walked in, and they were bugging her, and they were teasing her. And she said, shut up. This preacher is telling me stuff that I need to hear. You guys need to hear it. But if you're not willing to hear it, just go to the back and shut up. She was interested. We began to continue our conversation, and then the doors opened, and the north wind came in. It was the boyfriend. He walked up to me. He walked around me. And all that I could think about was, I'm going to die in a gas station in Decatur, Illinois. I knew the conversation was open, over. Her demeanor had changed. My demeanor had changed. His demeanor stayed the same. I walked out to my car, got in, and drove off. Now I was really late. As I drove off, I remember feeling so defeated. I didn't bring her across the finish line. I didn't ask her to receive Christ. As I drove along, I came to the next town, Shell Gas Station, no major adventures here. I got out, I called my wife. I said, I'll explain everything later because uh, I said, I'm, uh, I just want you to know I'm okay, but would you please pray for Kimberly? That was her name. And then I asked a gas station attendant, I said, do you have the number of the gas station indicator that is just on the highway? He goes, sure I do. So he dialed it for me. I got on the phone. It was Kimberly. I said, Kimberly, I just want you to know that what I shared with you is the truth of God's word. And if God spoke to your heart tonight, all you need to do is reach out to him, repent of your sin, and receive Christ as your Savior. She said, preacher, <laughs> I don't know why she called me preacher. She said, preacher, you've told me a lot tonight. And I promise that I'll try to remember everything you said and think about it. Thank you. We hung up the phone, and that was that. I drove the rest of the way in a peace. And I can't tell you with great assurance, but I know in my heart that I believe that Kimberly and her son is going to be in heaven. I just know it. I don't know why. But I don't think God does these things just for the sake of doing them. But why doesn't he do them more often? Why aren't you in conversations like that? This happened for me over 25 years ago. And the question is, is it not happening because God's not about that kind of work? Or is it not happening because we're too busy not listening where God is leading us and trusting in the gospel message that it, the message, not the weakness of the messenger, is able to save? What a transforming difference that would make. But that's exactly what we see here in Jonah chapter 3. The Apostle Paul says in his chapter to Philemon, verse 6, he says this, I pray, listen to this, Church of Jesus Christ, I pray that you might be active, 
in the sharing of your faith. I pray that you might be active in the sharing of your faith so that reason, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. I pray that you might be active in the sharing of your faith so that you may have a full, complete understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. How's your walk with Jesus? Is it missing a component of joy that might only be known in obedience to God in the sharing of our faith in our weakness trusting that in the power of his word and the Holy Spirit that God will do as he will with us, through us, and in the lives of others. I wonder if we truly believe that if every person here is called to the Great Commission, go into all the world. You might not go to Pakistan where I was born. God might call you across the street. Two years ago, God called me to a coffee house in a downtown Alton, Illinois, to a man that I had seen many times in the same coffee shop, and I just said hello to him. And we've had a two-year conversation about the gospel. And he's yet to receive, but I believe that God is going to draw him to himself. God may not call you to great mission work, he may call you simply to trust in the gospel, its power, in the working of the Holy Spirit in using you. And in that moment, there is a profound joy. When we know that we are being used of God in a way that can bring no credit to ourselves, but all glory to him, there is a joy in that moment. And I would say to us that most of us believers are missing out on that joy. We're not often trusting. We're not often listening to the workings of the Holy Spirit where he may lead us. God told the Apostle Paul, stay in this city for I have many here. Do we believe that there's many in Troy and Glen Carbon and Edwardsville who God is yet calling unto himself that they are going to come because of the message going out from you. That's what we see in this chapter. We see a broken, sinful man being used of God with a message given by God to transform a wicked people and bring them to faith in God. It's just simply that simple. Notice, if you would, this call in verses 1 through 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Boy, is that good news. That though we may give up on God, God does not give up on us, but continues to help us, not out of the sense of fear of, oh my goodness, if I don't do this, God's going to whoop me. But in the sense of, I want you to have more of me, but the more of me is going to come through, you're trusting me to work in you and through you in the lives of another person. And then you take one step out of the door and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. What an adventure that would be if we woke up every morning and we said, God, where are you at work today 
in the community in which I live, in the neighborhood in which I live, in the homeschool group in which I work, in the school to which I go, where are you at work and would you lead me there? And would you use me there? I give myself to you. In my weakness, in my fear, in my inabilities, so that your ability, your strength, would shine through me. And God says to Jonah, as he does to us, arise and go to Nineveh. For Jonah, it's Nineveh, an enemy city. For us, it might be something far simpler And God calls him and he says this, Arise and go to Nineveh, that's the destination, and call out against it. That's what Jonah is asked to do. The message that I, the Lord, give you. That God will provide the message and God will provide the results. Let me ask you a strange but simple question. Can that piano play Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata? No, it can't. It's simply an instrument. It can't play what is not performed on it. And you might say, like me, (laughs) well, if you're asking me to play anything, I can't play anything more than here we go up the road to a birthday party, which is all that I can play on the piano. But in reality, you and I are not called to be those who bring results. We're simply the instrument. But how audacious of us as believers, as an instrument played by the Holy Spirit, to fight against the Holy Spirit in what he desires to bring forth from us. See, it's God who is at work. It is God's tune. It is God's timing. And we simply are to be used of him and finding joy in that reality. Verse 3 tells us, so Jonah arose. This time he's quick. Last time it was disobedience. Now he walks in obedience. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And it's important here to see that Jonah's uh, disobedience in chapter 1 to the voice of the Lord, here it's obedience to the word of the Lord. We're not called to follow our whims or our schemes or, our, or the intelligence of man. We're called to obey the word of God. And God has called us into the sharing of our faith. This is why expository preaching is so very important. Uh, it's important because I, as the preacher, am not called to cajole you I'm not called to persuade you. I'm not called to sugarcoat the message for easier consumption. I am called to simply expose the word of God. If you want to disobey it, that's between you and God. It is my call to share the word, to bring it forth with clarity and with confidence so that you can obey what God is calling you And then we see the enormity of Jonah's task, don't we? We see it in two ways. First of all, we see it in the enormity of the city. 
Nineveh is described as this huge city for that day and age. It was three days journey across walking. This is an enormous task that God has called Jonah to. The second way we see this is in the sin of, uh, of Nineveh. Notice in, verse, uh, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, God said, uh, it's, it's sin has come before me. Here it says, their evil has come before me. And it's their violence that God points to. And here's this wicked, horrible city. Nineveh was known for punishing those that came to it and if they didn't like the terms of what they were calling a king or another king or whatever, they would skin the person alive. That's what Nineveh was all about. So Jonah was being called to an enemy city where he, could, he might have been skinned alive for preaching the gospel that they didn't like. And yet he's called to do this for this enormous city. Nineveh was a city that was ruthless. But this too can be daunting in and of itself. God may call you to Nineveh, but he may simply call you to, his age, to your aged grandma. She's nice after all. He may call you to an aged grandma or he may call you to a mob boss. See, the reality is that both are sinners before the sight of God. One just happens to use violence, and the other is just very nice. But they're both lost, and they're both headed for hell, and they're both in need of the grace of God. But see, it's not about, it's not about the enormity of the task if we understand that the work is all of God. We're simply called to walk in obedience. And God will bring forth the results. And then notice, if you would, the simplicity of Jonah's message. Jonah begins on his three-day journey across the city, and he begins to proclaim. We were told earlier that God would tell him what to proclaim, and this is what we hear. Now, this is probably a little snippet of a larger sermon. That often happens in scripture. But notice what he says. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And here again, it's important that we as messengers, that ours is, not, uh, ours is to proclaim, but ours is not to tamper with. The scriptures tell us that those who preach and those who teach will be judged more strictly. Again, without biblical understanding of God and his sovereignty and the call of evangelism and discipleship, we can sadly do, we can sadly and often do confuse our role with the role of the Holy Spirit. Our role is to present the gospel. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation to the soul. How he does that is in his power not in ours. We're simply called to proclaim. And that's what Jonah does. He proclaims 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. But <clears throat> the reality is sadly that we live in a day and age where the church is now tampering with the message of God. We want to make God nicer. We want to make God more pleasant. 
We want to make God like Mr. Rogers, who in the end will let everybody play in his neighborhood. But that's not who God is. And we are not called to change God, nor are we called to change his standards. But we are to be razor sharp like the Lord Jesus Christ, full of grace and full of truth. And that is what God calls us to. And as Jonah proclaims, something incredible happens. Nineveh repents. Nineveh hears the word and Nineveh repents of its sin. And notice what happens when he declares the word of God. Their repentance is based, if you will, on the belief in the word of God spoken to them by Jonah. They are not responding to Jonah as a person. They're responding to the word of God coming forth from Jonah's mouth. And notice what they said. And the people of Nineveh believed not Jonah, believed God. And their repentance is comprehensive. In other words, it includes everyone. Verse 5b, from the greatest to the least. Verse 6, the king humbles himself. Verse 7, he declares to everybody this degree. Men and beasts are to fast from food and water. They're to be covered in sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. And here's the hope. They are trusting, thank goodness, not in Jonah, but in God. They are to turn from their evil and their violence and the violence of their, uh, their hands in the hope, and their hope is in the person of God that they just heard the message from. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. What a response. But again, the response is not to the cleverness of Jonah's message, nor to the illustrations he used, nor to uh, uh, the, the wonder of the stage show that was happening while he was preaching, nor to the, the uh, movie clips that he used in his sermon. None of those happened, but they responded to the word of God. Why are we surprised that if God was to call you to proclaim the gospel, that somehow we think that we are the ones that people are responding to when we should be trusting that they will respond to the word of God. And I wonder if Jonah was surprised because he proclaimed the word of God and the spirit of God fell and there was transformation. The prophet Ezekiel in chapter 37 tells us of such a, a dependence on the word of God and the spirit of God and the transformation that happens when, he, when he's taken out uh, in the spirit to a valley full of dry bones. Many of you will remember this passage uh, well. And this valley is filled with bones that have been dried up and picked clean. They are white because the sun has borne down on them for a long period of time. And God calls to Ezekiel and he says, Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? Ezekiel, who's very reformed, answers, well, you alone, O sovereign God, know. 
Can your neighbor live? Can your wicked brother live? Can your boss who hates you and you hate them, can he live? What would our answer be? I'm afraid more often than not, my answer is no, if I'm honest. Why? Because I'm looking through my own eyes. I'm not looking through the power of the Spirit of God who is at work. See, brothers and sisters, as Reformed people, we're really, really, really good at debating the order of salvation and predestination and the working of God. And we've got all our ducks in a row, but we often fail to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. You alone, O sovereign God, know. Okay, hot shot, Ezekiel. That's not how God put it. But he said, okay, Ezekiel. You said, only I know. So preach. Preach to those dead bones that they may live. And so Ezekiel preaches the word of God to the dry bones. And they come together, bone to bone, and flesh comes upon them, but they were not alive. And then God says, now pray to the Ruah or the Spirit to come. And Ezekiel says, I prayed and I proclaimed and I preached to, to the Spirit to come. And the Spirit came and filled them and they stood as a vast army unto the Lord. Do we believe that? As we proclaim the message to dead people. For you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once lived. Do we believe that the sovereign God has the power to raise the dead? And do we go in that power proclaiming the word of God in reliance upon the spirit of God, trusting that he himself will do what only he can do to bring forth a result that will bring God glory? Nineveh repented. What a glorious hope for those that you're afraid might not repent. It's not up to you. It's not dependent on you. We are to pray and we are to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And we are to trust that in doing so, God will work both in us and through us to do what only he can do. And then we see the grace of God in this response. Verse 10. And when God saw what they did... This is Nineveh. When God saw what they did and how they had turned from their evil ways, this was repentance unto life, God relented from his disaster that he had said that he would bring to them. And if we're honest, we often wrestle with this challenging word, relent. How would God relent? How can God change his mind on what he was going to do? But often we fail to understand that because we fail to understand Old Testament prophecy. When we think about prophecy, maybe from our charismatic days or whatever, we think of, uh, we, we think of fortune telling in a way. But prophecy was declaring the word of God. This is what's going to happen to you unless you repent. Now it often happened to Israel that way. 
And it happened to Israel because they didn't repent. But when they did repent, God said, absolutely, that's what I was going to do because I called you to repentance and you have repented. And so his sovereign will is never changing. It is always exactly as he intends. But in the meantime, God is doing his sovereign work. And so the sovereign work in the Ninevites was a work of the Spirit that God had always intended. But the message was, if you don't turn from your wickedness and turn to God in repentance and belief, you will perish. That's the gospel, isn't it? And they turned because the Spirit of God moved in their heart through the Word of God, and God relented. What he said he was going to do, now he turns from because they turned to him, which was always his intent. Nineveh got the gospel. They responded to the grace of God in the proclamation of the gospel to them. Isn't it interesting that in Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, verse 9b, he proclaims what sadly we will see in chapter 4, he doesn't necessarily always believe. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's a sentiment that's affirmed in Revelation chapter 7, verse 10. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, we are called to go. We are called to share the gospel. Go in trembling. Go in fear. Go in your own weakness. Praise God for that because God will use weak vessels to do his good work. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. And God will use you. It might be once. It might be a million times, it doesn't really matter. God will use you because it's not dependent on the ability of the messenger or the power or the persuasion of your oratory or of your gifts. But, is it, but it is in the faithfulness to declare the gospel, trusting that God will use it however he will, whenever he will, to whoever he will, for his glory's sake. See, God will work, and any time that he so chooses, in any way that his word is declared, to bring forth glory to himself by saving lost people. I had a co-worker named Carol Johnson, and Carol Johnson's testimony was one of the most uh, impressive testimonies that I have heard. Carol Johnson grew up in a believing home. Carol Johnson grew up in a Southern Baptist home where every single Sunday the gospel was preached both in Sunday at service and the altar call came forth and then it was preached in Sunday school and the altar call was brought forth. Well, she lived in a small town and her older sister uh, always wanted to play Sunday school. And so her sister gathered all the kids from the neighborhood. She was bossy, so she always got to be the teacher, nobody else. She would do a lesson. They had the whole flannel graph thing going in the backyard. And they were to sit still. And then she would proclaim the gospel. And then she would call for a response. And everybody had to raise their hand. 
And this happened day after day after day after day. She said, I was always annoyed because I never got to be the teacher. I never got to present the gospel. I never got to see all the hands raised. But she said, one day, we were in the backyard. Just like the whole week had gone by, same thing, different lesson. Gospel proclamation, call to repentance and belief. And she said, that day, as I raised my hand, I knew that I knew that I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was giving my life to Jesus Christ in my backyard playing Sunday school. I was responding to the gospel preached to a bossy sister, but it was the gospel. And God opened my eyes in my backyard as a little girl. Do we believe in the power of the gospel? Do we believe that God will use even bossy little sisters in backyards to do his bidding? How different would our church, our neighborhoods, our families, and even our lives be if we trusted and believed that God will work both in us and through us, that in the sharing of our faith, we would find a greater joy than we've ever found because we know all the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we wrestle in our hearts, as I wrestle in my heart, I find it's very easy to be in my office and very hard to be in places where I'm meeting lost people sometimes. And so this message is for me as it is for each person here. Father, would you put into our heart and our mind one or two people who we can begin to pray for, who we are close enough to to connect, to develop relationship, and to proclaim the gospel. Whether that be a moment or whether that be over two years, may we find joy in seeing you work through our weakness for your glory not only in saving the lost, but finding, giving joy to the found. Father, would you help our unbelief? We believe. Help our unbelief. And in doing so, would you change us to be more like Jesus? And we pray this in his name. Amen.